Artistry. I am your host, Canary T. Robot, and today we actually have someone who is higher up the ranks, I would like to say. Jackson, introduce yourself, please. Hi, I'm Jackson Lansing. Uh, I'm a comic book writer and a screenwriter uh, of lots of various things. Uh, you might know my work from Batman and Robin Eternal. You might know my work from Grayson, uh, if you're like a DC Comics fan. Uh, but if you follow my creator-owned work, you'll know me from Hacktivist or Joyride. Um, I'm all over the place. Howdy. Wow, you've done a lot. <laughs> no, just that's that's just the comics. There's a lot of there's a lot of junk I can't talk about. Well, I, I'm not going to ask you to talk about it. I'm gonna ask <laughs> it. Instead, I'm going to ask how you got to where you are. How did you get into comic books, man? Uh, well, I was a fan uh, from way back. Uh, I grew up on comics. Uh, I, I was a Superman fan and a Spider-Man fan when I was a, a really young kid. And then they killed Superman, and they uh, they did something called the Clone Saga in the Spider-Man books, uh, neither of which really played for me as a kid. And I found myself uh, kind of on the outside uh, looking in a little bit more, and I didn't really feel like there were comics that spoke to me. So I stopped reading comics for um, you know, probably seven years or so. And then in high school, I reapproached having watched the uh, the X Men uh, movies. Brian Singer's first couple X Men movies really got me interested in knowing more about the X Men. Uh, and so I uh, went out and sought out the uh, the more recent X Men runs. Um, so I actually started with Grant Morrison's run uh, on X Men, which is normally not like a jumping on point for people, or at least as I understand it, it's not really been a jumping on point for a lot of people. But it was for me. Uh, and I, uh, and I kind of fell in love with the possibilities of comics as a result of the amazing work being done there, uh, sort of fell backwards into, uh, a lot of Warren Ellis. So like the authority and Transmetropolitan and preacher and, uh, went back and, and reread Sandman, which I've read, my parents were into, I'd read as a kid. And so when I, by the time I hit college, I had a pretty working encyclopedic knowledge of comic books, um, and was, and was becoming kind of a voracious reader. Uh, I met a guy named David Server uh, in college, who is now still, he's, he's been my roommate and one of my best friends for years. He's a what totally... Well, wait, before you continue, what college did you go to and did, uh, what, did, what did you major in? Uh, I went to USC, the University of Southern California, and I majored in film production. So I was part of their directing uh, class there. Oh, okay. uh, and I actually... I went to USC because, as well. Oh, well, there you go. Uh, what year? Uh, I graduated in 2013. Oh, wow. Okay. I graduated in 08, so I'm an old man. Okay. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we had had, uh, uh, you know, I'd come to, out to L.A. to be a film director. That's what I wanted to do. And I, I sort of found that I didn't have the chops for it yet. Uh, I, I didn't really know what I was doing. I hadn't had a lot of experience behind the camera. I was a, I was a, I was a halfway decent photographer, and I was a pretty good writer, and I really liked working with actors, so I kind of thought all those things would coalesce into, like, being a good director. But that wasn't really the case. Uh, and so I found myself kind of trying to look for things I was good at uh, and try to lean into those. So I was a very good film editor, which is actually how I, I, I still uh, make a living as a film editor uh, alongside my writing work, uh, because 
uh, writing work can be inconsistent and uh, my editing work is not. So uh, I've kept a job as an, as an editor and now as a director for the past few years. Uh, but, you know, it took me about 10 years after graduation, you know, seven, seven years after graduation for me to start directing. Uh, while I was at school to learn to be a director, I met uh, David Server and then Colin Kelly, both of whom uh, became writing partners of mine. Uh, and David and I, rather than making a film out of college, because we were both, I think, in that boat, we were like, well, we're, not, we're both not like amazing directors. In fact, I think David was a better director than I was uh, back in school by, by a solid margin. Uh, the two of us knew that we did both love comics. We used to go to the comic book store together, uh, David and Colin and myself and our friend Dan. We all used to get into Dave's car because he was the one of us who had a car. We would drive to the comic book store and we would pick up our comics and argue about our comic books over pizza and then go back to the dorm room and read our comics and argue more about comics. And um, by the end of our first, I think maybe our, even our second conversation, David and I had talked about writing a comic together uh, because it was something I was very interested in. I built a couple of comic book ideas uh, and he had a very well fleshed out comic idea that he wanted somebody to come in and help him write because he, he didn't really consider himself a writer, uh, but he had this great idea. And uh, I kind of threw at him, oh, well, here's what I would do with that idea if you, you know, change this and change this. What now I know is referred to as like a take. I had a take and I pitched him my take and he was like, oh, that's a great take. Do you want to write this? Uh, so no, in no, that before, way, I, before you continue, can you explain what a take is? Oh, sure. Um, so given your, I mean, this happens to, a, you know, I'm on the regular as a writer, um, especially in comics, uh, but also in features and in television and really at any, any place where there's pre-existing material, uh, somebody might come to you with an idea and that idea might be, um, you know, as advanced as like Batman, uh, or it might be as low key as I want to tell a story about, uh, artificial intelligence, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, then what you say is, okay, well, what I am interested in about Batman is X, Y, and Z. Or what I am interested in about AI is X, Y, and Z. Now, that's not going to be what another person is interested in. That's what you're interested in. And that's where your specific lens on that material comes from. Uh, that lens, which should ideally direct everything you do, so... Uh, it should be, you know, a reader should be able to read your work and essentially feel like they're getting your version of that of that idea that, that your uh, they're getting your point as far as that idea is concerned. Uh, that individual um, stamp uh, of an idea is what we call a take. So um, oftentimes, what you'll be asked to do as a writer is pitch your take on a character. So they'll, um, especially in like features. You'll be sent a, uh, a, you know, a piece of uh, a piece of pre-existing material. Uh, uh, like you know, I, I, we just did this with a short film. We were sent a short film. We were asked, which I can't talk about because uh, we're still up for the job. And they were, <laughs> and they, and uh, and they asked us, okay, we really want your take on this story. Uh, and so then we came in to pitch our take which means that you sit down and you sit down with the executive in charge of the project or the executives in charge of the project and you walk them through your idea uh, front to back, generally anywhere between like 15 and 20 minutes. Uh, and by the time that you're done, essentially like trying to spark their imagination with descriptive words uh, that form some kind of coalesced story, uh, they will have decided whether or not your take is the take that they want to proceed with and then they'll proceed with a take. So, for instance, uh, 
the Zack Snyder take on Batman is very different than the Chris Nolan take on Batman, which is very different from the Tim Burton take on Batman, right? Uh, Mm. And each of those, each of those, uh, those directors have a very different take. Uh, so that, that's where that terminology comes from. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Yeah. Cool. So essentially, um, I had been, uh, I had really been wanting to do a comic. Uh, Dave had a specific idea that he had. I kind of had a take on that idea. So, uh, we worked together to make that idea happen. Uh, and about four years later, in 2010, we published our first comic, uh, which was a comic called Freak Show. There were about 2,500 copies in the print run. It was called Freak Show. Freak uh, show. It was uh, from a company called Ape Entertainment. It was uh, essentially kind of a dark Guillermo del Toro-y take on X-Men. Uh, it was a, um, it was very like, influ- you know, we were both East Coast kids who were in high school during 9-11. So it was very influenced by our experience having been through, like we're both from Boston, uh, where the planes took off from. So we, we had this very like ingrained feel, uh, of having lived through something very monumental there. And, uh, and so we really tried to work that into the work. Um, and yeah, it did really well. Uh, the, you know, for, for a, for an indie book with, you know, from no name creators, uh, the book really ended up, uh, you know, getting a good amount of buzz. It sold out through its, its very small print run. We sold the movie option, which got us a little bit of news buzz. Uh, and that kind of got us both moving as, uh, as creative entities. Uh, and while I was really specialized in being a writer and a director, Dave uh, moved off into being a manager. So now he manages a lot of writers and directors uh, and helps them do, I think, what he did for me, which is get your take squared away, figure out the best way to bring it to market, figure out the best way to, to make it to life. So um, I, I like to kind of think like I was Dave's first client, even if I, he's not actually my manager, because uh, I don't have a manager. Um, but then after all of that was done, uh, I, I walked away from comics for a little bit because that didn't really lead, lead to more work. We did a couple of, uh, of, of kids' books uh, here and there. Uh, but I didn't do any more work in comics until uh, about, what, 2012, 2013, when I was approached by uh, Rebecca Taylor, who was an editor over at Archaea, uh, which is now a, a subsidiary of Boom Studios, but at the time was its own sort of small label company that I'd really wanted to work with. Their books were beautiful, mm-hmm. uh, still are beautiful. Uh, and she approached me about coming in and writing a book about hackers uh, for Alyssa Milano uh, because she had been a fan of uh, Freak, Freak Show, and she was like, I love what you did with your characters. I want you to bring that same kind of character feel to this book. Would you be interested in pitching a book about hackers? Uh, and, you know, Dave, it's not really the kind of story he wants to tell. He doesn't write all that often anymore. So um, I went to my writing partner in features and TV, Colin Kelly, uh, who I've been working with for many years, and that's its own sort of story. Uh, and he and I uh, brought our take to Alyssa uh, and sat down with her, and she sort of pitched us her take, and we pitched her ours, uh, and we found that those were very compatible. And uh, that's how Hacktivist happened. And then we have been... Essentially, Hacktivist was a hit, and we have been uh, uh, writing in comics ever since. That, that's what opened the door to working at DC. That's what opened the door to writing our own creator. Own. Um, it, it's been kind of the big start of everything that we do. Nice. Now, I get a question. With Freak Show, how, did, how were you able to pitch it? Or, like, um, uh, how were you able to – because, you? I mean, how does one – begin just saying, oh, I'm going to write a comic book, and then right. eventually just uh, being able to publish it. How did you get from point A to point well, B? Well, 
Well, beautifully, comics is kind of a low-cost medium, uh, all things considered, like, compared to film or television. Uh, it is it is, it is relatively low-cost to produce, uh, so you can take pretty low risk, and you can do a lot of it yourself. Uh, it really comes down to the amount uh, that you are willing to hustle. So uh, we did... Uh, I kind of walk you through that process. Um, we started with a pitch deck. Uh, we had written the first issue script, and we had uh, gone out to... Uh, find an artist that we thought would work. We, we initially had a concept artist uh, named Hanai Rivera, who is uh, still like a really amazing fine artist. Uh, she did a, a she did an amazing children's book last year, um, but she didn't really uh, she wasn't really feeling comics, and uh, she felt like she couldn't fully dedicate herself to to making freak show happen. So we took her designs and moved to uh, a new artist, a guy named Joe Suter, who was kind of an upcoming comics artist and has now been a comics artist for, for over a decade, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, guy out of Long Beach. We found him online after a, a pretty extensive search, uh, approached him with the idea. He thought the idea sounded good. Uh, he was affordable for us, so we paid him out of pocket, uh, and that's sort of where we started. Um, and then we went from... Uh, we took that, we built what, was called, what we called a pitch packet uh, that has essentially... Um, uh, six pages of completed like art that showed you what the book was going to look like uh, and how it was going to read. That had uh, bios for each of our characters and like turnarounds for the characters, uh, by which I mean like designs that you could see the various angles on the characters, called them turnarounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a story outline. We had a little sketchbook in the back. We had some cover ideas. It was generally a, a, the idea behind the pitch packet is to show that you know your shit and that you can do uh, good work. And so we said, okay, here's our, here's, you know, what the book is going to be. Uh, and we walked that around of all places, San Diego Comic-Con. We literally walked up to every publisher that we could and asked to find an editor. And when that editor had the uh, good sense to talk to us, uh, we, or, you know, as, as the case may be, the, uh, 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 was, was shoehorned into talking to us, uh, they, would read it and give us feedback, and, and that was kind of that. And um, to our dismay a little bit, while we got a lot of people being like, oh, yeah, this sounds really, really cool, we got mostly passes. Uh, and we got a few people being like, hey, if you change this and this and this and this, maybe we'll go. Like, Arkea was looking at it, but they were like, yeah, but we don't do anything with superheroes. And Freak Show had a superhero on the first page. There weren't any superheroes in the rest of the book, but there was a superhero on the first page, and they were like, we can't, can't do it. And our whole thing was like, well, that superhero needs to be there because he's part of the, the, the context of the book. We need it there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we um, we were kind of SOL. We didn't really know what we were going to do, but we knew that we had this book. Uh, and we knew that we had the money to produce it if we needed to, right? It, it, it's just a few thousand dollars to make that happen. So that was money that we could uh, essentially like take out of student loans uh, and, and, and make work. Uh, you know, neither of us being really particularly rich people. Um, mm-hmm. but Dave, but Dave's parents came through and helped us, uh, put some money behind the book. Uh, I put some money behind the book, uh, out of my own, uh, my loans. And, uh, Dave did the same. And I think we ended up with a, um, a pretty solid, uh, little bank account to like make the book happen. And then, uh, sort of out of the blue, uh, a small publisher who had been wanting to do a book with our artist, Joe Suter, uh, happened to, uh, the, you know, they were one of the last people we gave the pitch packet to, and we got a call one morning saying that they had had a meeting and had agreed to publish the book. Uh, and what that meant essentially was that uh, we had 
a an infrastructure that allowed us to go into comic book stores without having to worry about getting in with Diamond, who were the primary comics distributor first. So they did all those deals for us, and all we needed to do was produce the book and pay for it. Uh, and then we ended up receiving all the profits. So that was a, a pretty good deal for us. Um, they just kind of acted as a boutique publisher, and it was almost like a self-publishing model. It was like early Amazon um, self-publishing, but, you know, digitally, or not digitally, like physically. Uh, and that's how Free Show came about. Oh, wow. So, yeah, and we, we, we mostly put it together ourselves, and then uh, a, a, a publishing company came in at the last sort of minute and helped us get the, uh, the, the dot our I's and cross our T's and make sure everything was, was killer. Was the, this publishing company someone you met at Comic-Con? Or? Yeah, yeah, they were a company that we worked with at Con. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, I, was gonna, I was just uh, asking about that. And then... Um, and- uh, and then once Freak Show came about, um, Hacktivist was, uh, you were asked to, to do Hacktivist then? Uh, yes, but, uh, you know, important to note that there were a few years in between. So the, it wasn't like, oh, one, one success immediately led to another. Like it, it required a lot of waiting and a lot of thought, um, and a lot of, uh, patience to get to that next job. Uh, and in the meantime, I, I was doing a lot of kids' books. I did uh, Penguins of Madagascar uh, for Abe. Abe had a lot of licenses, so that publisher uh, would send us uh, licenses and we would do books for them. I did a book for them that never got published called RPM that was kind of a, uh, it was like that company's take on Transformers or Mask. Uh, and I kind of came in and, and, and pitched them my version and they selected my version and then we, you know, I did a, I did a, a solo run on that book that never came out. Because uh, the publisher ended up folding uh, before that. Now, how do you uh, how do you come to like uh, make meetings with these people and such? Uh, well, that was Comic Con. I mean, we literally walked up to them, chatted well, with mean, them. Well, I mean, even I mean, even after uh, Freak Show, was it still going through Comic Con for like the books you pub like you like these children books you published and all that? Oh no 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 no! They would come to us. Um, at that point, oh. then, you're you're not soliciting work as much as they're soliciting you. They need writers. They've had a good experience with you, so they're going to come to you. Um, I, I, by and large, uh, never ask for work. Uh, if, 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 if there is work coming, it's because it's come to me. I don't go to editors and say, oh, please, can I get work? Uh, like, I... I do good work, and then editors come back to me and say, hey, we want more work. Uh, you know, that's that's the... That's a mistake that I think a lot of early writers make, uh, is that they think that the thing they have to do is bug editors until they get work. That's not necessarily the case. What you need to do, and it can be, it really depends on the editor and the person, um, it's not how I like to do business. Uh, the, the best way I have found to um, break in to comics, as it were, and everybody has their own way, but the, I think there's a unified aspect to it, which is be good to work with, be fun to work with, be on time with your work and make good work. And like, you can be bad at one of those elements, but you really can't be bad at more than one of those elements. Like, you gotta be on time, you gotta be fun to work with, you gotta be pleasurable to work with, like insofar as you're fun to talk to and you are good to communicate with, and you gotta like actually do the work and have it be critically successful, or at least be successful for the, the editor, um, even if the critics don't get it. Uh, if, if you can, hit all of those levels, they'll start coming to you. You will become a thing that is in demand. And the more that you are not asking for work and are rather fielding offers, 
the more that more work is going to come to you because that's going to create a situation by which you are looked at as a commodity that people want. Uh, you, you become a less a thing that people are, uh, you know, that, that you're trying to fight your way into the world and more somebody who is already there uh, so that when people know, oh, I need a writer, you're automatically on those short lists because there's only so many writers. Yeah, I, you know, um, one of the things I've always uh, told people is like they need to learn how to um, think of themselves as a product or rather uh, try to uh, market themselves in a way that makes them stand out and makes them likable. So yeah. people would want to work with you. So I've, I've well, always, you know, I think. It's interesting because I think that that advice can go both ways. Uh, you know, not to, not to disagree with you. Uh, I think that, but I think that, that that advice can lead people down a path where they're creating an artificial version of themselves that isn't necessarily who they are. Um, I think what is is more uh, the way I would think of it is uh, be true to yourself, be true to your work, and do that work and do it in a way that is true to you. Uh, the rest of that, insofar as like seeing you as a brand and seeing you as a product and understanding you as like an individual that is distinct from other individuals, that stuff is going to come from people reading your work and having your work be singular. You cannot trick a person into thinking that your work is singular. Your work is either singular or it is not. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. So like, I, I, I think that there are like, there are people who knock down the door with personality, but have the work to back it up and that work is um, laced with their personality, and that's, like, the best possible scenario. But you don't need to have a giant personality to be good in comics. You just need to have a singular voice. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, uh, uh, of Steve Orlando, for instance, who has a very unique voice and, like, certainly has to some degree a brand as the, like, young, aggressive... Uh, insofar as his write, his writing, his work is like violent and aggressive, um, uh, gay man in comics. But I don't think that that means that a all of his work is tinged with with like it all has to be about homosexuality. It's, it's not, and and he, his thoughts go a lot deeper than that, and his work goes a lot deeper than that. But that's like part of his brand. It's part of who he is, and he's not afraid. I think to like write to that because that's what he wants to write to. It's not like he's like trying to be I'm the gay guy. It's just like he's. He is a gay man who is interested in those in how that stuff fits into the superhero context because there haven't been a lot of gay men who've gotten to write these characters. And so he comes in and really has something to say. But if you, like, meet Steve, he's not this big, outsized personality. He's actually this very low-key, very smart, very well-spoken uh, dude. My energy makes him look really low-key. Uh, <laughs> you know, and that's, like... Th it's not about playing into a stereotype or playing into a brand. It's just like, be yourself, do awesome work. The rest will follow. Uh, we don't all need to be loudspeakers, you know, uh, even if, you know, even if sometimes it feels like you have to be, you know, that's a good way to look at it. I, um, I've always wondered how I could say that. And I actually think you said it perfectly. I mean, uh, I actually had an opportunity to speak with Jonan Vasquez, the guy who created, um, I love Jonan. I do amazing. too. He's a, he's a nice guy, but he is he's definitely a lower key personality too. Absolutely, yeah, lower key than you would imagine, given his optics. You oh, look yeah. at Jonan and you're like, oh man, you look like a Jonan Vasquez drawing. But then you meet him and you're like, oh, you're actually a pretty low key, like normalized person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, so 
yeah, I think, and basically, he does draw for himself. He draws what interests him, what makes him passionate. And uh, when you, it's funny, because he just recently did a cartoon for um, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And if you get him talking about it, you can see the passion light up in his eyes. Of course. So because because you can't you can't fake passion. No, you can't. So that's uh, I agree with you on that part. That be yourself. Go with what makes you passionate. Well, and I mean, and that's and and the other thing um, is to foster relationships. Uh, I, I say like, don't go after editors and be like, give me work, give me work, give me work. But here's what I would say. Um, mm-hmm. Rebecca Taylor, who's the person who hired me for the first time at Archaea, she's the reason I have a comics career. Like, I I, I don't think I would have a comics any comics career at this point, I'd be full, full in features and TV and still just doing that grind. And you may have never read something that I wrote as a result. If it weren't for Rebecca Taylor, uh, she was an assistant. Like when free show came out and I met her at C2E2 at a, a, a convention in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she said some nice things about free show and we just hung out a little bit and it wasn't for, and then it was just, you know, we would meet up every six months or so, and we would grab drinks, or we would get sushi, and we'd hang out, and I'd get to, I'd talk to her about her crazy life, uh, and she'd, I'd tell her about my crazy life, and we'd just continue having these conversations. Uh, and, it, and I wasn't sitting there being like, so when are you going to get me into Archaea today? It was just like, hey, whenever you're thinking of things, you know, know I'm out there. And eventually something came across her desk that looked like something she thought I would do good at. And it was her idea. So it didn't, it didn't feel like it was something I'd pressured her into. It was never a thing where this was starting from a place of me being desperate. She needed someone and I was the person she wanted. Right. And I brought Colin to the table and all of a sudden we were this team for her. Right. And then that, that locks. And then, you know, that book is successful. Tay moved on to DC comics around the time that we were, uh, about halfway through Hacktivist 2, like as we were ending Hacktivist 2, Tay went off to DC. And when Tay went off to DC Comics, she just brought us along because we were, we were already people that she'd wanted to work with. And there was a, there was a, a spot in the, the Batman and Robin Eternal writers room. So it wasn't very long before we were getting calls from DC. And again, that's because we just nurtured that one specific relationship. And now I've nurtured many relationships with many editors, uh, but it, 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 it's very rarely about walking up and being like, hey, when am I going to get that work? Uh, because, they, you know, when they need you, they'll call you. Yeah. As so, you it, so, I, so, I, so I'd say as much as being, as like knowing your brand and knowing your strengths, it's also know that uh, you're never going to get anywhere alone. That anyone, anywhere could be uh, a, a a valuable asset or valuable, I guess, like, like, um, asset feels so cold and that's really not how I mean it. Uh, like a valuable ally in what is otherwise a pretty desolate struggle. Um, it's, it's very useful, uh, and very, I want to just, it's not even use. It's like, it's actually like the joy of the thing is nurturing that community around you uh, and having, a community of like-minded or, or, or even differently minded creative voices who can all bring something to the table. Uh, it's one of my favorite things about comics and it's, it's certainly one of my favorite things about, uh, being a writer in general and being part of the comics community, uh, is that exchange of ideas and that, um, uh, and that community. And if it happens to lead to more jobs, you know, hooray. 
Uh, but that's, but the relationships are kind of a point. Like, you know, you might not write comics for a few years, but if you know amazing people, then, you know, who cares? You have a great community around you. That's good to hear, actually. Um, I'm going to have to wrap this up soon. So do you have any last minute advice or tips? It's a pretty broad question. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think like based on just what we've spoken about. Um, for anybody who would love to get into comic book writing. Okay. Here's my, here's my tip. Okay. Do it. <laughs> Don't pitch around. Don't sit there hoping that you're going to get a shot at Batman. Um, trust me, I never thought in a million years that I'd get to write Batman before I turned 30. Like, that was not a thing I would have ever assumed would have happened. Um, and I never wrote for it. I never built a take for a character I wasn't asked to build a take for. Don't waste your time creating your ideal Avengers run or your ideal Captain America run. Don't work on other people's characters. Don't beg them for jobs. Make your book. Make your book and just do it. Like, find the thing that only you can say and go do it. Um, I, a great example of this, I think, is a, is a book that's very, it's kind of a, a spiritual sister to Joyride, um, my current book about uh, uh, teenage uh, ex space explorers. Uh, there's this book called Kim and Kim. Kim and Kim is written by uh, a uh, up-and-coming uh, comics creator named uh, Mags Visaggio. Uh, Mags is awesome, and she is, uh, and I met her back in NYCC a few years back when she was just, like, walking around with her black-and-white comic trying to show it to people and, like, get people to know what she was doing. And we kept in touch, and uh, I've watched her build this book, Kim and Kim, that's very much from her personal experience. Uh, she's transgendered, and, and the, the, one of the main characters in the book is transgender, and, and it really lets her explore a new side of uh, the science fiction universe that otherwise you wouldn't have seen, and it's got her particular kind of punk rock energy to it. Uh, no one else could have written Kim and Kim. Like, I write Joyride, and it's very, very similar to Kim and Kim, but you can look at Joyride and be like, well, no one can write Joyride but Colin and I, and no one can write Kim and Kim but Mags. And I, I think it's really important to look at those, uh, to look at like what it is that you have to say and then go and do it. Because when I have tried to lean into what I think people want, I haven't had a lot of success. And when I've leaned into the thing that I know that I want, that's where the success comes from. So I didn't ask for permission to do Freak Show. I just wrote it. Uh, and I found a way to pay for it and we found a way to publish it. Uh, if you need to team up with your friends to do it, do it, man. I never write on my own. I write with partners all the time. I write with my best friends because they are the people who make that worthwhile. Uh, and it's going to mean that the money's less, but it means that the work gets done. So, uh, my, my best, ex my, for a film, you need a whole lot of money and a whole lot of permission. For a TV show, you literally need to like do 10 years of working your way up in TV just to be able to be a TV writer, right? I know people that have been working towards that goal exclusively for the last 10 years and are just now making it, right? Mm -hmm. in, comics, in comics, none of those barriers exist. Go make your comic and make it the best freaking comic you can possibly make it. Uh, and then give it to everybody you can. Who knows when that assistant is going to become an editor on Batman, you know? And then, and that's when you'll get your chance to pitch your take. But until then, find the story that you want to that you want to tell, and go tell that story. Don't worry about creating a take on somebody else's. Too, way too many people waste their time being like, "Oh my God, I have like the perfect Iron Man story." They're not going <laughs> to hire you. They're not going to hire you to write Iron Man ever. Like not until you've done your own thing first. 
So go do your own thing. And then, then make them beg you to write Iron Man. Then you'll be good. That's good to know. Uh, where can we find you? Uh, I am easily found. Uh, you can find uh, constant updates on me and my life at jacksonlanzing.com. That's J-C-K-S-O-N-L-A-N-Z-I-N-G at, uh, or dot com. You can also find me at Jackson Lansing uh, on Twitter. I'm on there. I'm super accessible. Come ask me questions. I'd happily get more into this. Um, every once in a while, I produce a YouTube video, but like not often. I, mean, I think I might try doing more of that. Uh, but... Yeah, I'm findable on both of those platforms, and then you can find my work wherever comic books are sold, including Comicsology. Uh, I, do me a favor and check out Joyride. Uh, that book is uh, my heart and soul and could use all of the readers that we can get. So uh, you can find that on Comicsology. The first four issues are out uh, right now, and you can get the uh, Volume 1 trade in just a month wherever books are sold. He is a talented writer, people. Read for him. Read. Oh, thanks. Yay, reading. This podcast is a part of the Benview Network. You can find this and other podcasts like it at BenviewNetwork.com.